You're listening to the official Dietitian Connection podcast. This podcast gives you access to the most successful and influential experts in the dietetic profession. This podcast will inspire you, it will challenge you, and it will empower you to become a nutrition leader and realize your dreams. Welcome to today's Dietitian Connection podcast. My name is Marie Ferguson and I'm the director and founder of Dietitian Connection. It's a pleasure today to have Dr. Megan Rossi with us. Um, Megan is a registered dietitian and her background is with a PhD in the area of gut health. And I have known Megan for quite a number of years when she used to be here in Brisbane in Queensland, Australia with us at uh, the University of Queensland where she got her PhD and also Princess Alexandra Hospital. But now Megan has made the move and is living in London, where she currently works as a research associate at King's College. And she's also has a gut health clinic on Harley Street, London. And you might know her as the gut health doctor on Instagram. Megan is also working with Leon Restaurants on a nationwide gut health initiative, among lots of other things, which I'm sure Megan will tell us about. Welcome, Megan. Thanks, Marie. It's a pleasure to be here with DC. Got lots of great questions and I'm really excited to chat to you this evening, our time in Australia, but morning time for you there in London. Thanks so much for your time. Perhaps we could get started with why you back in the day decided to become a dietitian. Look, I um, I think I was destined to be a dietitian because I've always been so in love with food, um, you know, the flavours of food as well as the community feel of food. So I've always loved food. And then my mum was a or is a science teacher, so you know from a very young age we were playing in the background with like little science experiments, with like bicarb soda and little volcanoes and things like that. And I think she instilled in me quite an inquisitive mindset, which you know I think is a key asset uh, in research. So bringing those two aspects together, and like sorry, I think all dietitians to some degree are researchers. We are scientists. Um, so, yeah, bringing the love of food and love of science together, I think, you know, the the clear um, career journey is being a dietitian. That's great that you can follow in your mum's footsteps with you definitely have that science gene in you. Um, <laughs> but like I said, I think all dietitians, we yeah. kind of, we all are scientists and I think we need to embrace that because we spend quite a bit of our uni degree you know, doing a lot of chemistry um, and, you know, biology, anatomy and all that sort of stuff, which is, you know, the basics of science. So. Mm. Well, you certainly have, and I know that you started your career in dietetics with a PhD. So can you tell us a little bit about that and then your journey from there? Yeah, so I, I worked as a clinical dietitian for about a year um, under your uh, governing, Marie, and, you know, I still never forget when I just finished my um my dietetics degree with QUT, I was waiting around Christmas to find out about jobs and I got a call. I got a missed call from you actually. I was away with my family. I think it was actually Christmas Eve. Clearly, Marie, you work all hours. <laughs> um, and you'd offered me a job and it literally was, you know, probably one of the best days of my life. It was just such a uh, an overwhelming feeling and I remember exactly where I was. It was, you know, incredible. So, Thank you, Marie. Moral of the story of that early Christmas present back then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it really was. It was seriously the best Christmas ever. Um, Yeah, so I worked as a year and a half with PA, and and then I had a little bit of a taste of research. So um, I was very fortunate um, to work with you uh, half day, half day, half day, half um, 
time doing a research project, doing IDNT, and then the other half being a clinical dietitian. So that gave me a little taste of research. And I think I needed that because, you know, I'm, I was a little bit scared to jump straight into a PhD. So I was very fortunate for that. And then, you know, after having that um, taste of research, I was like, yes, you know, this is what I want to do. I love, I love, you know, asking questions. And I also got to go to America to the conference. So the travel was another bonus about research. So, um, yeah, then I launched into my PhD um, with Associate Professor Katrina Campbell as my primary supervisor and um, Dr. David Johnson as my secondary. And that was looking at whether we could improve uh, gut health in people with chronic kidney disease that would actually reduce some of the um, toxins which are circulating in their blood, which, you know, as dietitians all know, as uremic toxins. And what some preliminary research had shown is that our gut bacteria are actually producing some of those toxins. And though they were higher in people with kidney disease. And those toxins had then been linked to things like heart disease and further progression of kidney disease. So the concept was, can we improve um, people's gut health with kidney disease by adding things like pre and probiotics, so symbiotics, to reduce some of those uremic toxins? And, you know, excitingly, it was a positive trial all round. And now at PA um, and I think Sunny Coast as well, they're undertaking the second phase of that study uh, but yeah, so my PhD ended at the first um, the first stage. So I absolutely love my PhD. It was you know really hard, but it was so rewarding. Probably um, one of the most rewarding things I've done. Um, yeah. That wasn't long after that that you decided to move to London. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. So I um, I was like, okay, um, what do I do with my life now? <laughs> and I remember um, so for those. No, Marie's one of my mentors, and I remember sitting with you, Marie, and going, "Oh my God, what what do I do? You know, do I go back to clinical dietetics?" And I thought, oh, you know, it's not probably where I'm best at. There's a lot of other more amazing dietitians, clinical dietitians out there, um, and you know, you did encourage me to look outside of Australia, and so did Katrina. Um, I remember her saying that. You know, if I really want to establish myself as a as a researcher, it's always good to go away from you know your initial uh, research group where you did your PhD, really to get um, different experiences, and then you can come back. So she suggested go away uh, for a year and then come back. And um, unfortunately, you know, when I went away, I got a, a taste of things over here, and it was a little bit too hard um, to come back. Um, yeah, so I was very fortunate to get a job at King's College. I applied for one um, postdoc uh, at King's and I had the interview and I actually didn't get that position and I was a little bit like, oh, but then they um, were they emailed me and I was, I was very lucky to be able to get a new position and, and what that position was really around is bringing about new um, hypotheses and new collaborations and I think they'd seen from my PhD that that was probably one of the areas where I was best at is, you know, building new collaborations. So um, I yeah, came over to London to start in a new role um, and really, I guess, create that role, which I still to this day, you know, really love. Mm. I think I might have said just go for a little while, but you seem to have <laughs> stayed a little longer. So clearly you it was like... a risk, Marie. It was a risk. <laughs> clearly you like London. Uh, is there anything you love about London? 
Oh, look, I think that there's endless opportunities here, um, not just within research, but outside research. And um, like, like you know, Marie, I'm moving more towards more uh, public engagement. And I find in the in London, in particular, it's a really concentrated hub of you know this wellness world, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs here. So it's really an inspiring environment to be around. Uh, so yeah. There is a lot going for London um, for me at this time in my life. Mm. So you kind of mix research with clinical plus, as you said, moving into the um, public engagement space, um, working with companies and in the media. Perhaps let's fill us in on your current research and then we can move into some of those other aspects. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now and why you chose to focus on gut health? Yeah, so I work with Professor Kevin Whelan's group in the diet and gastrointestinal health. Uh, and I guess it followed on quite nicely from my PhD where, again, it was in gut health, although in chronic kidney disease. But for me, um, you know, I see gut health as really the future um, of our health. I think that's such a, a key element to how we can all improve our health and well-being. So, I knew I always wanted to stay in gut health and, you know, Professor Whelan's group um, was, you know, world-renowned as experts in that area. Uh, but what I wanted to do was move more into, I guess, areas which would affect more people, such as irritable bowel syndrome. Um, so that's one of my main areas of research, looking at different nutrition-based therapies uh, in irritable bowel syndrome. I also work a bit in inflammatory bowel disease, um, like Crohn's and colitis, looking at different dietary interventions. Yeah, like most um, most people with IBD, I think it's around 60%, say that they think diet has a role in their IBD. But at the minute, there's really no dietary intervention that we can help them with evidence base. So there's a lot of research that needs to be done. Um, and then also another element of my King's research is looking in healthy people, how to just improve the health of their diet through different, again, nutrition therapies um, and really mechanistic work around how food can improve our gut health. Can you share with us any of your findings or are they still projects underway? Yeah, um, so I think a lot of dietitians already realise, and this is not directly my work, it was um, some of my colleagues' work because I've only been you know, in the UK for two and a half years and most studies take about three years um, to come with anything, Right, um, is what they found, and I think, again, a lot of dietitians are already aware of this, is that things like the low-format diet is actually really um, not good for our gut microbiome diversity. So, you know, that's why I think it's so important we really do educate people and know that it is actually just a four- to six-week thing. But one of my colleagues um, who's now actually moved to the um, moved to Australia and my old research group, um, Heidi, Dr. Heidi Staudacker, she, for her PhD, looked at um, adding probiotics into um, a low-fodmap diet. So people are on a low-fodmap diet, but they also took a, a probiotic every day. And what she found that it had um, – it prevented some of that negative decline in their gut bacteria um, by taking that probiotic at the same time as the low FODMAP diet. And then work on that, um, which I've led, is looking at whether um, we can predict response to dietary intervention um, in IBS by measuring different elements of people's fecal samples. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, you know, has been really exciting stuff. Um it's still, you know, will take a couple of years for translation, but 
hopefully, you know, soon we will be able to go look um, based on your stool analysis, you've got a 60% chance of responding to a low FODMAP diet. So let's try it or unfortunately, you've only got a 20% chance. Instead of a low FODMAP diet, let's go down something like hypnotherapy or something like that. So really getting to that personalized nutrition. Um, one of the other research projects we're working on, which, you know, I guess was my first baby. So it was the first grant I wrote when I, I got here to the UK. And it was looking at, or it's looking at different types of dietary fibers um, in people with irritable bowel syndrome. So as, again, most dietitians would be aware, is certain fibers actually can trigger people's gut symptoms and therefore leading to a lot of people excluding fruit and vegetables, which could actually potentially be a vicious cycle for people with IBS. So what I wanted to do is look at whether we can combine different fibers to actually increase tolerability um, as well as having that long-term effect of, you know, supporting their gut microbiota. So we've teamed up with some um, experts in Nottingham, so just outside of London, where we're doing um, MRI scans of people's guts. So we have, give people acute doses of different types of fiber, and then we scan their gut, and we can see how much gas and how much small bowel water is produced after having that um, dietary fiber, as well as, of course, symptoms and things like that. So you know, I think there's a lot of potential there, again, looking at more of the mechanistic aspect of, of diet mm. and how we can, um, yeah, I guess, look at new therapies Fascinating. that are food-based. And if yeah. you, you might not have the results yet, but do you sort of know what fiber combination and which pro um, probiotics are the best or are they, are they different for different situations? Yeah, so um, the fiber combinations, we, we don't know that yet. That's one of the premises of the studies. Um, and we're also, sorry, on that we're looking at another novel fiber called Nepal and that's because it's an international study with a Mexico site um, and that's their cactus. Mm -hmm. So don't know the results of that yet, but hopefully in the next six months we will. Um, and for Heidi's PhD, she used VSL3. So it was a mixed multi-strain of lactobacillus and bifidobacteria. Um, okay, great. Yeah. And maybe we can include some references to some of the research yeah, you've yeah, done. Yeah, because our papers have both been published on those topics. So yeah, definitely. we could include yeah. those in our show notes. And in terms of the future, where do you see, you know, sort of the gut health space going in the next decade or so? Definitely personalised nutrition by the sounds of it. Anything else? Yeah, yeah, personalised nutrition. And also I think we need to be smarter about the use of probiotics. What often we forget about is that each different strain of probiotic has very different functions. So, you know, when we're talking to a patient, we might be saying, oh, have lactobacillus acidophilus. Now that is just at this strain level and within that there's over 60 different, sorry, that's at the species level and within that there's actually 60 different types of lactobacillus acidophilus strains and each one of them, there are some elements which overlap the functionality but each of those do have different capabilities so we need to be more specific with our prescription and I think, you know, with the research um, that's how we'll be moving to be more like, okay, you've got these symptoms, so you should actually be having this exact strain, uh, so nearly writing it out as a script. But at the minute, we don't have all that research, as well as the strains are quite limited um, from manufacturers. So, yeah, watch this space. I think that's definitely where, from my, in my opinion, it will head. Mm. And you mentioned earlier sort of um, hypnotherapy. What, what do you see as, you know, the – therapies that might be outside of dietetics impacting on gut health? 
Yeah, look, stress is such a huge contributor um, to things like irritable bowel syndrome, which affects around 10, 10% of us. Uh, and what we've seen through some really interesting randomized control trials is they've gone head-to-head with a low FODMAP diet in one arm and hypnotherapy in another arm. And what they found is that both therapies actually got around 70% um, resolution of IBS symptoms. So, you know, one, one therapy was just focused on diet, the other just focused on their head. And both were so effective at improving things like bowel habit, gut pain, et cetera, in IBS. So, you know, I think we need to start seeing our body as, you know, this whole mm. thing instead of just focusing on different organs. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks for sharing all that latest research, Megan. It's really fascinating. And I know that you've won a lot of awards in London for your research and particularly one very prestigious one recently from Princess Anne. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the award was for and and your experience in meeting Princess Anne? Uh, I wouldn't say heaps of awards, but, yeah, I have been quite fortunate. And the one with Princess Anne meeting her firstly was just the most surreal experience like you know I remember watching her on tv as a kid and actually getting to meet her and I was very lucky we got I got to um you know be one-on-one with her and chat with her in advance of receiving the award and you know she was so personable I was really nervous and I thought oh I have to be very proper and everything but you know Princess Anne was cracking jokes and was yeah she was really personal I, yeah it was such a great experience but the award was um from the British Nutrition Foundation and Princess Anne is one of their patrons so, so she gave out the awards and it was um funding to look more around the mechanisms of how the low FODMAP diet works so we know that it you know can increase um so a loaf of milk diet can reduce things like small bowel water content and the gas production. But we also think there's probably some other mechanism of how it's, you know, really improving um, symptoms. So that's one of the research projects that I want to look at and they awarded some funding to look at that and things like bile acids, et cetera. So, yeah, it was um, it was such an amazing experience and I'm really excited about the results for that research too. Now, I know you're doing a lot, as you said, in the public engagement space. You're doing a lot of speaking engagements. How do you translate that science, which often is really complicated, into nutrition messages, you know, that are easy for the public to understand and, you know, fun and engaging? Yeah, it's um, it's something I continue uh, to try work on because, you know, especially as a researcher, there's so much detail and you don't want to, um, give out false impressions or be misleading and miss out some of that detail. But what I've learned is that you really need to. Um, there's not all of it is necessary um, for the public to, you know, gain information from. So I just imagine that I'm, you know, talking to some of my girlfriends who aren't science based and think about how they would um, want to be communicated to and what aspects they would find interesting. Uh, and that really does help me, I guess, with my communication and my messages that I give to the public about research. Mm-hmm. And I know you're doing a lot of stuff in the corporate space, um, particularly with Leon restaurants in London. So how did you get your start in that space? So good old Instagram. Um, mm-hmm. It, for me, has been a bit of a portfolio and I've had some pretty cool things come of it. Um, 
So Leon approached me through Instagram and um, they're really, they're so forward thinking um, and it just shows, you know, they're one of the top um, fast food chains that are growing the fastest in the UK and and just this year they've launched um, restaurants in Europe and next year they're going to the US. So they're, you know, really forward thinking and they see gut health as not just a trend um, that's you know transient, but they do see that as the future of um, of health. Um, so we do share, I guess, that that concept or that belief. Uh, so yeah, they wanted to really roll out gut health in their restaurants. So doing a lot of menu development um, as well as educating the public. And so for those who don't know about Leon, it's um, a fast food chain, but their principle is um, making food that tastes good as well as does you good and it's founded on them they very much like a fast food chain but all their stuff is made on site with you know fresh based ingredients um so yeah it it really was a dream collaboration because you know i actually used to eat at leon because it is such a healthy um convenience store so um yeah it's it's still a pinch me moment i think and then working with them so many opportunities are coming up and um, yeah, so we start off with a year contract and how am I? I'm about six months in. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll continue that because we're working on a lot of projects at the minute, um, which is very exciting. Fortunately, can't share with you yet, but hopefully, um, all will be revealed in the near future. It's so great that they're forward thinking to include a dietitian. Exactly, so, exactly, yeah. Marie. And exactly. well done exactly. to them. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things I'm so passionate about is, you know, getting dietitians to recognize they really are the experts in nutrition um, and and they should be the ones who are getting approached. But we need to be um, accessible and we need to, you know, not put, um, you know, food industry off by being like the food Nazis. We want to, um, or food police, we want to, yeah, look like we are open to new things as well. Hmm. And you mentioned Instagram as sort of being a way that you've attracted a lot of different roles. You know, would you have any tips on budding young dietitians in terms of how they should grow their Instagram? Yeah. So I think one of the things with Instagram is that people often set up an account and they give it their absolute all, but they don't think about things outside of Instagram. So, and I I guess everyone is very different and their journey is very different. But for me, the reason how I've gotten some following is because I have been doing heaps of different talks um, over the past year and I, uh, you know, are doing also some collaborations with other, well, not other, but just influencers um, who, you know, then give me a shout out and things like that. So I don't think it's about just focusing on your account. You need to get out mm-hmm, in the public mm-hmm. and do stuff. Um, yeah. Great tip. So it's not just about online, it's also what you yeah. do offline. Being an actual human. Yeah. Being an actual human. <laughs> yes. And would you say networking is important? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, networking is really, really important. Um, and I've met some amazing, really inspiring people who are happy to work with nutrition experts like dietitians. Um, but, again, they just they don't know where to access them. Um, and sometimes we've been given bad reputations that we are very black and white thinking Uh, so it's about saying no we're evidence-based and we are happy to consider other things but at the end of the day we want to make sure that you know we are not misleading people Um, yeah Mm -hmm. 
anything else that you think's contributed to your success to date, um, either in general or any habits that you have yourself? Um, look, I think I'm a pretty hard worker. Um, you know, my family actually farmers by trade um, and they used to work all hours. So I think maybe some of that has um, has been passed on to me. You know, at the minute while things are going really well, I, I don't have much of a social life and I think people need to, um, you know, appreciate that, that nothing comes easy. Uh, I think some people from the outset, outside might be thinking, oh, look, you know, she's just moved to London and all these great things are happening, so I'm going to move to London, all these great things are going to happen. Um, but it's not the case. I work, you know. 12 hour days and then I'll, I'll work sometime, um, you know, on Saturday and Sunday, at least some degree. Um, so I do do a lot of behind the scenes work and, um, yeah, so hard work does pay off, but you do need to put in that hard work. And how do you ensure that you continue to sort of grow and develop sort of both, I guess, on the research side, but also on your, you know, media corporate side? Yeah. Um, I think I, I keep an open mind and I try to learn from other people and with especially working with Leon, I have met a lot of really amazing entrepreneurs and I'm always open to hearing their insights on things um, and some of it is very different from my own thinking and I've also met other nutrition professionals who you know are things like naturopaths um, and nutrition therapists, which have very different beliefs from mine, but I keep an open mind because uh, I think, you know, a lot of things we end up finding 10 years later actually might be quite beneficial. Um, so not shutting people down and, yeah, being really open and learning from others. Mm-hmm. And have you had any challenges that you've had to overcome? And if so, how did you do that? Um, gosh, I can't think of like one major challenge, but I guess some things is juggling um, my different hats because at the minute I'm still working full-time research and I know that I need to cut that down um, so I can start giving myself more to things like the public engagement. Uh, so I don't I don't know if I've got the solution to that except for just work longer hours at the minute. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, that has been quite a challenge is, is to look at juggling my time. Mm-hmm. And then if you were talking to someone that's just starting their career in dietetics, I was just at the University of Sydney graduation Mm -hmm. dinner on Saturday evening, what would be your sort of number one tip to them? Tip. Well, firstly, I'd say congratulations. You've just entered the most um, rewarding and exciting career because I just think they're, Mm -hmm. you know, especially at this point in, um, in time, dietetics, there's really endless potential. Um, I think if I was to give them a tip, though, um, it would be surround yourself with other dietitians um, who are, you know, really positive about the our profession. Um, and I think it would be don't necessarily go out alone and start a business straight away. That this is just my opinion. I think that, you know. Often if you go straight from your degree out on your own, you probably don't get that support and that mentoring that you might need. Um, So I really found it beneficial, I think, to position myself really well and and give me the confidence is that I did work um, in clinical practice for about a year and a year and a half. And 
and, you know, had really great mentors like yourself, Marie. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a bit of a ramble tip. Um, so to summarize, yeah, surround yourself by really um, positive dietitians and, and probably don't, you know, be too alone. Don't isolate yourself from the start. And how important do you think, you know, having the PhD and, and being in research has been to your success? For me, it has been really important because it's, I guess, set me apart um, from, I guess, other people looking at gut health. And it has, you know, working with King's College, um, you know, has given me that, um, I guess, credibility that other people might not have gotten. But it certainly is not essential. And some people, like I did a talk the other other week about it and dietitians are saying, so do I need to do a PhD? And I think if you don't have the passion for research, certainly don't spend three years doing it. It will kill you. You have to have the passion and the drive for research and then the addition doctor addition um, to your name and things like the credibility, you know, is just an extra, but you shouldn't be going and doing it just to pursue those, um, those outcomes from it. Mm -hmm, totally agree and what do you think might be some of the opportunities for these young and -and up-and-coming dietitians in the next decade I think it's it's about being entrepreneurs and business people um when I first started um dietetics I think you know the number of business people and entrepreneurs was very few and I know Marie when you first left um being the director and went to do DC it was quite a oh my gosh, this is such an incredible milestone for our profession. And it was a really big deal. But I think in, you know, the next five to 10 years, it will actually be quite a norm for dietitians is Mm -hmm. to start to be really entrepreneurial and and business-like. But I think with that also comes the risk that people lose some of their credibility with, you know, becoming an entrepreneur because there are so many exciting opportunities, but sometimes we need to take a step back and go, oh, look, the research isn't quite there yet. Let's not oversell it. Um, And that's what I think I've been seeing quite a bit of as I'm moving into public engagement is there are some really great dietitians who are very forward thinking, but they might be jumping onto things where there is actually probably no evidence. And we need to remember that our profession is an evidence-based profession. And and that's why we have some of that credibility that other professions might not. So um, I guess keeping true to our profession and our evidence base is still important when we're entrepreneurs and business people. Mm. I think I say to the new grads, you know, the world's your oyster with the internet these Mm. days. You know, when I graduated 20 years ago, there was no (laughs) internet. So you can create a worldwide business, you know, from your home, which is is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. I'm too old now. Um, Getting close to the end. So some other types of questions. You know, I'm a big Jamie Oliver fan. So I'm just wondering, you're in London. Have you met him yet? Not yet, Marie, not yet. But I know that I will. I, I absolutely believe that um I think one of the career highlights actually to date has been when Jamie Oliver reached out to me on Instagram um and you know since then we've had quite a few conversations we haven't you know I have still haven't met him but these things can't be rushed um but yeah I I know that our paths will definitely cross he's he's just such a inspiring person and um he also you know is quite good friends with the Leon crew so I feel like there will be an event and I will pin him down. Um, but, yeah, he is an amazing um, inspiration for so many of us. 
Yes, definitely. And don't forget to mention Dietitian Action. He's also following us on Instagram as well. He's very pro-dietitian. He really is. He is. He is. Amazing. So other than that, are there any other best moments or funniest moments that have happened to you in your career to date? Um, Gosh. I think, you know, looking back, because often we think about things that have just happened, um, but looking back, I during my PhD, I entered this three-minute thesis competition and it was about mm-hmm. translating, you know, your three years of research into three minutes um, and present, presenting that to a lay audience. And, you know, that was such an amazing experience. I think it was like my first taste of, you know, media training and, you know, I got to do a bit of travel with that. Um, and that really was a highlight for me. And it's probably, you know, fed my my appetite for getting into public engagement and showing that, you know, if you deliver research in a really digestible um, and engaging way, you know, the public love it and they actually really want it. So um, that was such a a huge moment. I've also recently had a pretty exciting moment um, and I've got something to share hopefully in the new year with all of you, um, but I can't share it yet. Um, But, yeah, so probably those two things. Keeping it in suspense. (laughs) We look forward to hearing what that (laughs) is. (laughs) And just to end our great conversation today, any one interesting fact about you that people might not know? Um, I was I was born ten pounds five with a full head of black hair. <laughs> I think that's oh, a quite an interesting fact. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably all I've got, Marie. <laughs> well, and you've definitely changed. Yeah, well, changed your hair color anyway. Well, that's um, my mum was actually thinking of of keeping me down at school. Um, just because my birthday is towards the end of the year and she's a teacher and thought that that was best for, for younger kids. Um, yeah. But because mm. I was so big, she, she couldn't. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> lucky I was you. predicted lucky to be you. like over six <laughs> foot. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't reach that. I'm only six foot, not six foot two or something they predicted me as. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved around a lot, and I was kept down a year, and I was very unhappy. Were about you? It. So, yeah. Lucky your mum. Yeah, she couldn't. Your well, she did that to my brother. She kept, going ahead, she yeah. she kept him brother. down. But oh, okay. now, you know, with the prep cycle and stuff, <laughs> they do that, don't they? That's right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we've come to the end of our conversation. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and I wish you were here in Australia so I could see you more often and chat to you more often, but um, hopefully, you'll come and visit us again sometime in the near future back down under thanks so much marie um, i'm such a big supporter of dietitian connection because you know like you have been my mentor from day one and i think i probably wouldn't be where i am um without your support and you know having dc every week checking those emails it really does continue to inspire me so i can't thank you guys enough um really it's our pleasure and I just watch loving you and other young dietitians, you know, grow and be so successful. So congratulations on all of your success to date and I know there'll be much more to come in the future. And we'll talk to Great. you soon. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dietitian Connection podcast. If you were intrigued by this episode and keen to learn more about gut health, then we are actually holding a two-part series of live webinars in the area of gut health. And our speakers will be Dr. Megan Rossi and Dr. Joanna McMillan. And uh, these live webinars have been held in April 2018. So you'll be able to join the live webinar and you'll also get access to the recording uh, or if you would prefer, you can purchase the recording after the live webinars and these are available at dietitianconnection.com and then um, under the webinars tab. So we look forward to seeing you on this gut health series of webinars and also look forward to you joining us on a future Dietitian Connection podcast. podcast.